You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast. Each podcast, we look at what's going on in each cropping region, focusing on those pesky weeds. the last Weed Smart podcast of 2016, Pete. Yeah, it's been a long year of podcasts. We started about a month ago. Yes. <laughs> We've been working hard. Yeah. But, you know, by this time next year, we'll be we'll be pros. Yes, and we've covered a lot of ground, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, harvest ground. There's been a lot going on at That's harvest. Right. So, looking forward to next year when we get into some of the other things that happen at other times of the year. Yes, we'll definitely be making sure to check in with lots of farmers and agronomists, as well as keeping everyone in the loop with our extension offices across the country so what have you been up to though lately pete uh well yesterday i got the opportunity to go and speak to 40 uh, landmark agronomists and do a presentation so i do this like uh, interactive thing where we get everyone to stand in a circle and we make a plant cell and we do molecular biology <laughs> <laughs> it's good fun it's a really good way of learning molecular biology they see through me pretty quickly because i'm no molecular biologist but i know more than them most of the time so it sort of works oh that's good it kind of reminds me you can imagine being back in high school doing something like that with a wacky science teacher. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be the wacky science teacher. <laughs> it's good fun. So, look, agronomists out there, if you want to experience interactive learning, that's it. it doesn't I'm have, all for it. It doesn't have to be all books and and programs online where you're in your office alone. You can get into a wacky science-themed lesson with Pete. That's it. And it was first one after lunch. We'd had a big lunch and I got everyone on their feet, so it was good. They were even yawning standing up. Yeah, and my lunch right. was so big, I nearly fell asleep in my own presentation. It's <laughs> <laughs> good you didn't. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Jess? Uh, you're a bit of a nature watcher, I reckon. Have you seen any interesting animals or birds or anything on your rides to work lately? can't actually ride at the moment only found out yesterday I've got an annoying wrist injury so I drove in today and an ibis wouldn't even get off the road I had to come to a complete stop today for an ibis for an ibis and And is the ibis still with us yes but he was extremely slow at crossing the road excellent but yeah it's been really good working um, out of University of Western Australia there's lots of sweet little birds around I've been seeing baby ducks grow up over the last three months saw a baby magpie yes and dolphins on my ride in before I found out about my annoying wrist injury but yesterday I actually had a really yesterday landline came in so they did a story on Ari so that's going to be yeah coming in the next in the new year so what's the story well I can't reveal too much but a little hint it it will be on weeds (laughs) wow you've really given it up there okay (laughs) we'll look out for that one yes i thought it might have been about tennis or something but no well there could be other little elements in there you know you've got to keep some things under under wraps yeah but that's obviously with my work that I do with Ari. But we are talking about Weed Smart and we should get on to the podcast topic. We should. So this week we're going to be talking about some farmer interviews which Nick McKenna from Plan Farm actually did. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of that? Yeah, so Nick went down to the Esperance region where people have been using chaff decks. So that's chaff tram lining, I suppose, is the terminology where they're putting the weed seeds on permanent tram lines in a CTF system, or they're using chaff lining, which is similar, but they put 
just the chaff in a row in the middle of the header. So it's a bit like a, a windrow shoot where windrow burning, but it's just the chaff and they're just leaving it. They're not burning it or anything, just leaving it. And it's this area where farmers have started doing it and it all sort of makes sense, but there hasn't been any scientific investigation really. There's a little bit. Michael Walsh has started a little bit, but there's not a lot of science on it. So what Nick has done, he's gone and interviewed 10 farmers in the region and just discussed with them how long they've been doing it and how do they go about it and how they feel about it. Well, we'll check in with Nick in a moment, but I'll just also mention later on in the podcast, we're also going to be having a chat with Paul McIntosh. He's our Northern Region Extension Officer, and he's going to be talking about grain sorghum and post and pre-emergent herbicides and some tips around that as well. So stay tuned for later in the podcast for that. But in the meantime, let's check in with Nick and see how he went, shall we? We shall. So I'm chatting with Nick McKenna from Plan Farm. Firstly, just tell us a bit of about yourself, Nick. Oh, so I'm uh, off a family farm at Tarden, um, just sort of east of Geraldton, and I started working as an agronomist with Plan Farm at the start of this year. And you've taken on a project which is taking you all the way down to Esperance. Can you tell us the background of that? Uh, right. So I think um, Peter Newman, who works at Plan Farm, also uh, won a project. Um, that was funded by the Esperance RCSN to look at, um, I suppose, the uptake of harvest weight seed control measures in the Esperance port zone. So I got handballed the job of driving down and checking out the Great Southern. And what what did you think about the experience overall? Um, I actually quite liked it. Um, it's a different kettle of fish to uh, the northern ag region and the beaches were nice and the beer was cold. It was good, good fun. What about the characters down there? Do they differ much from the Geraldton sort of region where you're from? No, no, they're all the same. Peas in a pod. <laughs> All right, well, we'll, let's chat a bit about the Esperance farming region. Can you paint us a bit of a picture of what it's like down there, what farming systems people use? Right, so I um, obviously approached the Esperance port zone with a um, fairly concrete set of how farming systems operate. I haven't had any experience outside of the northern ag region. I was sort of surprised at how different it was. I think having a lot more rainfall in some parts presents a whole different set of challenges to what I'm used to seeing. But at the end of the day, it was still mostly the same. Well, actually, that's the wrong thing to say, but there was a lot of similarities between that and the, uh, the northern ag region. Yeah, right. So what about things like controlled traffic? Is that quite common? In the southern ag region, I definitely thought so. Up north, I think some people are right into it and other people see it as a bit of a limitation on how well they can, um, I suppose, adapt to the season. And if you're trying to sort of get crops established in a low rainfall environment, it doesn't or it doesn't really make sense to use a control traffic system. But uh, in the south, yeah, it was definitely um, a very popular choice for, I suppose, uh, maybe moisture or better water use efficiency and also less waterlogging in some places. So it was obviously they're doing it for a different set of reasons to people in the north, but yeah, it's still worked out. So in terms of this project that you went down for, can you give us a bit of a scope and an idea of what you were sort of looking at when you were in Esperance, the Esperance region? The project called for basically a bunch of interviews with growers predominantly in the Esperance port zone trying to look at um, obstacles to uptake of harvest weight seed control measure and also um, I suppose the reasons why they got into it. By and large I thought most people got into it because the extension messages worked really well. They sort of saw the, um, the problems that other people were having with weeds and decided that harvest weed seed control was a really cheap and effective measure of controlling your weeds at harvest time. So people down in Esperance are predominantly using chaff lining and chaff tram lining. Can you just give us a bit of an idea of what the differences between those two methods are? I actually am still struggling to get my head around this. Um, <laughs> it's not a very complex um, subject, but it's hard for me. So the chaff tram line is where they use a chaff deck to direct the chaff onto the wheel tracks. I think that's mostly used in a control traffic system, but other people were using it when they um, weren't on a 
CTF system. And then chaff lining is just where they used a simple chute to direct the chaff fraction out the back of the header, either into the middle or like to one side of the uh, wheel tracks. What's the benefit of chaff tram lining? I think if you're in a control traffic system, people like being able to run over the chaff year in, year out. Other advantages were that during summer spraying, you get a lot less dust. So the high traffic tram lines having that little um, sort of carpet of chaff, they don't kick up as much dust, which I think um, improves the efficacy of summer spraying. And then what were the reasons behind why people did chaff lining versus chaff tram lining? I'm not really sure. I think it's a really simple option. Um, A lot of people said that they liked the simplicity of it and the fact that they could do um, narrow window burning in a particularly bad patches with just a flick of a switch and um, they can then direct the straw fraction out the back of the header onto the same part of the crop. And I think also a lot of people saw that when they just weren't actually trafficking over the chaff, they weren't getting a germination of the weeds anyway. And it seemed to be that only where it was run over and disturbed that the weeds would germinate. So essentially all these weeds were just sort of getting placed in the middle of, of the system where they weren't being trafficked and then they weren't germinating and they were just sort of out of sight, out of mind. So was there a clear winner out of the chaff lining and chaff tram lining? Uh, no, I don't think you can um, make a distinction as clear as that. I think each grower had their own system and that what they were settled on worked really well for them. I don't think you can sort of say that there's a one-size-fits-all approach to this, Jess. No, no fights at the pub over it? No, I don't think so. I think the only fights would be with the people that aren't doing anything. What were growers' responses about how the machinery for chaff lining operates? Most people couldn't fault it. Some people sort of got into it maybe 10 or 15 years ago and they haven't reported having any dramas with it. I think there was like the occasional bit of maintenance where they replaced the rollers for the belt systems, but otherwise they were a really simple and um, maintenance-free option. Were there any other common weed control methods being used or was chaff lining the predominant one? I didn't see many chaff dumps um, and obviously I was only targeting growers using um, chaff lining and chaff tram lining and so I don't think there was many others using like a harvest um, Harrington seed destructor or anything like that. So I'd say that yeah, chaff decks and chaff shoots were the most common tools used. What were the pros and cons of the machinery that farmers were using? What did they say they liked and disliked? Oh, actually, I think your question's a little bit loaded there, Jessica. People, uh, I think, are reasonably true to the, um, the favourite colour of machinery that they go for. A lot of people like the John Deere's because they were pretty dependable. I think other people were dead keen on the New Hollands because they had a really good separation of chaff and straw, and so they were able to get pretty good, I suppose, yeah, separation out of the factory. Whereas with the John Deere's, they needed a little bit of tweaking in order to like put a baffle plate in to separate the chaff fraction and then um, direct that onto the wheel tracks. Were people pretty confident in sticking with this method or did anyone say say they might look at a different method in the future? Yeah, well, most people I spoke to said that they had either tried um, narrow window burning in the past or a chaff cart or something and they decided that this was a really good option um, just because it was so simple and really um, sort of set and forget almost. I spoke to most people about aspirations for the future and they... A lot of people said they wouldn't mind looking at a Harrington C destructor, especially if it was an integrated model. And I think there is something about sort of actively destructing the weeds that's really appealing to a lot of people. Yeah, it's just a nicer idea, I think. And um, there's no chance for it to come back and um, germinate later on. So speaking of those pesky weeds, what did you see out in the paddocks? Was there good control of weeds? This year was a bit of an odd one, as most people will tell you. A lot of people I spoke to said they didn't normally have weedy crops, but this year... I think um, there were some interactions going on. A lot of people had waterlogging problems, and so obviously the crops were very non-competitive, and I think some ryegrass plants were able to really till her out. And so you might look at a paddock, and um, it would look pretty weedy. Then you'd sort of get down on your knees and have a look, and there might only be two or three per square metre, but they are just tillered up like nothing else. And so it overall gave an impression of a very weedy crop. 
So I think the take-home message from that is that it has been working pretty well, but in a year like this where you get lots of waterlogging and very non-competitive crops, it's pretty hard to um, look like you have clean crops because the ryegrass just sort of um, went haywire. Unfortunate. And what about the chaff lines themselves? Were there weeds in the wheel tracks at all? Sometimes, yes. I think one thing I noticed between the chaff lines and the chaff shoots is that wherever there was, like the high traffic chaff lines, obviously some people have like a three to one control traffic system. The ones that got sort of run over multiple times a year, I think they got a lot of contact between the seeds and the soil and the seeds were always being pressed into a moist um, sort of medium. And in those situations, the chaff lines did seem to be quite weedy, whereas in like the lower traffic ones, there didn't seem to be as many germinate. And I think that's because they just weren't sort of disturbed as much and they were sort of sitting um, in a reasonably dry water shedding chaff line. And when it came to seeding, were there any dramas? Most people I spoke to didn't seem to complain about it. A few people were using disc machines and obviously they wouldn't have any trouble um, punching through the chaff. There's very little straw that ends up in that fraction, so they don't have any issues with um, hairpinning. And also, if they're on a reasonable RTK system, they were, um, yeah, like they were able to sort of dodge the um, previous year's rows, and so there wasn't really um, any dramas with that. Growers using tined machines, I don't think, had any drama either. A lot of them said that because it was um, reasonably hydrophobic almost, um, it was saved light and fluffy, so they were able to sort of um, put the tine straight through it without any dramas. Some people I spoke to said that when they disturbed it in that way, they actually got a fair bit of weeds germinate, and I think that's obviously what you'd expect. And so some of them would modify their bars to either... Um, take out the tine over the chaff lines or they would sort of just move them just to the edges so they'd have sort of a normal row a narrow row and then a really wide one where the chaff line sits and then obviously the same going back out a narrow one and then a normal uh, normal row and a lot of people said that worked really well for them Um, some of them had included just the odd disc unit to sort of help punch through the chaff but most people didn't have any dramas and they were using reasonably high tillage machines like dbs or something similar so that's pretty clever then because effectively they're just shifting the tines a little bit to miss that chaff. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, spot on, Jess. Yeah, so basically I think they had observed in some years that wherever they disturbed the chaff, they were getting really good germinations of the ryegrass, and obviously that's not always what you want. So occasionally to combat that, some growers would just move the tines that would be intercepting those chaff lines and move them to the edge of the chaff line so that they would um, essentially miss the majority of the chaff line and not sort of forfeit as much crop by um, leaving the tines completely out. So in terms of weed control, are the growers doing pretty well down there? I think, by and large, yes. I think a lot of people have done herbicide resistance testing for their ryegrass, which seems to be the most prominent weed. And although they would come back with, like, you know, alphabet resistance or, like, certainly least resistant to a few herbicide groups, they weren't complaining about how it was making it impossible to farm. I think they found it to be a really useful tool that um, complemented their other activities on the farm. And what about some highlights for you? Unrelated can be to your project. Were there any highlights when you were down in Esperance? Oh, I think the Conding Up Tavern. That's um, that's actually quite nice. <laughs> what made it so good? Oh, there's a lot of character to it. Um, the story I heard was that it was um, sort of paid off in a year by all the shearing teams coming through. And yeah, it's just like a really cool pub with a lot of atmosphere and uh, um, yeah, a few bar flies that are good for a laugh. All right. Well, thanks so much for chatting with me today, Nick. Oh, my pleasure, Jessica. So yeah, Nick was really great. He actually rode in, got his car serviced and uh, made the effort to ride in on a 39 degree day into UWA while he waited for his car to get fixed. Well, I can tell you, I ride my bike in a group with Nick and he is an amazing bike rider. So he just went with a group from Geraldton. They went in the tour of Margaret River. They got in, there was a hundred odd teams and they came 11th and they're against pro teams and everything. He's uh, he's pretty exceptional on the bike. 
Yes, and he was wearing jeans, I'm pretty sure, so pretty dedicated to be riding in that kind of weather in in those conditions with jeans on. Hats off to him. But he did chat with quite a few growers and he chatted with Elliot Marshman, Steve Marshall and Mick Fells down in that Esperance region. Pete, can you give us a bit of an overview of how this all came about, how the funding came about to check in with these growers and in regards to the chaff deck and chaff lines that they were using around harvest? So GRDC have their RCSNs, so groups of growers and agronomists and so on get together and and come up with ideas and they put the idea up that we want to know more about chaff lining, chaff decks and so um, they suggested as part of a project to do case studies with Plan Farm. I work with Plan Farm as well and with Plan Farm we won the project and Nick has gone down and done the done the interviews there. Yes, he did really well. And so we're going to hear about pretty much their experiences with these different technologies. So we'll check in with those growers in a minute, but can you tell us a little bit about the Esperance region, Pete? Well, there's a couple of important things about the Esperance region which makes them real innovators and real go-getters in terms of trying new things. So one is they've had a pretty good run of seasons, really, and so they've made some money which has allowed them to invest in new technologies. I mean, that's a broad-brush statement. There's probably areas further north where it's been drier and so on, but a lot of growers down there have had a pretty good run and they're investing in lots of new technologies. But the other thing is that it's a it's a relatively young farming area in Western Australia and a lot of farmers came over from South Australia and settled in Esperance and maybe only 50 years ago some of the land was cleared and so it's really a pioneering area. There's no tradition if you like. The farmers down there are really innovative, real go-getters and always really keen to try new things and their adoption of controlled traffic farming and then the chaff lining and the chaff tram lining that goes with it, it's, they're probably the, the leaders in the country in terms of adopting those practices. That's really interesting. Well, let's take a listen to their experiences this harvest. Steve Marshall farms just west of Esperance and uses a chaff deck as part of his program. Colin Hutchinson, farmer up in the Weebelt, he yep. was the guy that first developed the idea. Right. And myself and another farmer went up there to have a look at the idea and then uh, we just made our own up in the shed and we got uh, James from Emar to plumb all the hydraulics up and then from there he he started developing them for other harvesters and I guess, yeah, they're now called the Emar Chaff Deck. Yeah, gotcha. But Colin Hutchison was the original guy that came up with the idea, yeah. So is that a um, sort of 90 degree angle or is it... um just like two sort of diagonal ones that sort of come out? Yeah, two diagonal. We run three metre controlled traffic and oh, so yeah. one goes on one controlled traffic line and the other goes on the other. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, what? some guys will put it out to one side on one controlled traffic line, so, yeah. but yeah. You just do on one on each? Yeah. No worries. What machines do you run? Um, two S680 John Deere. Yeah, gotcha. Harvesters, and before that we had them on um, New Holland. Oh, yeah. Um, CRs. Did you have to make any modifications to either to get them set up properly? The John Deere was a bit harder than the New Holland. Um, the New Holland already had hydraulics there ready to go, so we just had to take the um, chaff spinners off and pretty much use that system, whereas with the John Deere, um, we had to plumb into the PowerCast hydraulics. Oh, yeah. um, and we also had to run the chopper a bit more rearward. 
and yep. make a splitter up, whereas in New Holland it was already there. Yeah, you gotcha. So did you didn't do any tweaking when you put the um well, by a splitter you mean like separating the chaff from the straw yeah. in the back of the yeah. machine. Yeah. So was there any tweaking involved in getting that sort of optimised or was it just a bit of guesswork? Um yeah, we just just went as hard as we could to to split it. Oh you yeah. know, and um yeah it was a bit there was a bit of um tin work involved in in the back end of the John Deere where there wasn't in the New Holland. So yeah. yeah. But, was there any dramas getting it um like you know with um I suppose straw catching on the, the front of the tin work in the back of the John Deere's? Not with the New Holland because I had a roller sitting yep. on the splitter. Oh okay. So um we have got a five inch piece of stainless steel exhaust pipe on the top of the splitter. But um, James from EMAR has developed a roller now for the John Deere, so that's oh, right. what we'll be putting in. And so on ripe crop, no issues whatsoever, but if you're going into green canola or if you had something green in your paddock like a patch of radish or whatever, there's definitely, uh, um, you need that roller to be totally confident. But we monitor the cameras and also um, the uh, shafts of the uh, of the shaft decks as well. Yeah, gotcha. So that's how we keep an eye on it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, so back to why you got into running a shaft deck. Did you think it was a good idea when you saw it, or was there some other other motivation? <coughs> oh, well, all the work that's been done, particularly you know, like through Peter Newman and other yeah. people, just show you that if you don't do anything at harvest time. You uh, you may have an impact on the weeds, and if we get a year like this year, which was just significantly wet for the whole year, then your weed seed bank is just back to where it was. Whereas yep. if you do stuff at harvest time, it um, it just keeps um, uh, low weed seed numbers. And, yeah. Um, we just wanted to do something that didn't slow us down. I didn't want to have to. Um, yeah, we did the typical like most farmers, like windrowing and burning, and yep. then obviously there's quite a lot of chaff carts around which we we never use. But um, we wanted something that didn't slow harvest down, and that we could manage the weeds and know where they are, and um, not have to run around summer um, burning stuff, etc. Yeah, gotcha. So have you seen the shift from um, like you know across the paddock into just the two chaff lines of yeah. weed numbers? <coughs> Over time, yes. It takes a few years, like we've got a lease farm and that's a bit challenging, but if you just keep at it, it certainly has a big effect. Yeah, gotcha. Do you reckon the chaff lines are exceptionally weedy or do you reckon there's some, like, do you reckon there's some weeds that rot away over, over summer and autumn that don't, don't end up germinating? Yeah, definitely. On your high traffic lines where your sprayers run, you do get um, weeds coming through um, because you get seed soil contact, yep. but they're actually getting hammered all the time. But on your low traffic lines, just having that, um, if you don't disturb the chaff, then it's definitely um, very minimal. Um, once you get a bank of chaff there, it's the, they don't like it, the weeds. Yeah, right. There's def definitely a lot um, less um, weeds, that's for sure. Yeah, gotcha. Was there any challenges you had when you were first developing the idea? Uh, not, not really. It was pretty basic engineering, really, yep. and um, it all went together pretty well. They seemed to work. Yep. Um, we haven't had any issues with the concept at all. So, but a lot of the groundwork was done by Colin. Yeah. Yeah. So you more or less copied him and used him. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. We just um, changed the drives a bit and whatever, oh, yeah. and 
um, he was able to bring them together and put the chaff together or split it or whereas we just were happy with splitting it. One of the big advantages with having the chaff on the control, both control traffic lines is summer spraying, you just don't get any dust. Oh yeah, so that's a bit of an issue in other parts of, um, of this region? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, summer spraying, particularly on the clays, you know, it's certainly um, a, a big bonus. You, yep. just, you just don't get any dust coming out the back. Yeah, gotcha. Mick Fells farms in Harlison Downs and chats with Nick about what benefits he's found using chaff lining. My chaff lines aren't dirty, they're clean. It's actually the wheel tracks that are dirty. Yeah, right. So and everyone worries about, you know, chaff lines are going to get this terrible band of grass in them. Yeah. It's a non-event. It really is a non-event. You're going to get a lot more grass from things like wheel tracks and everything else than you are going to get out of your chaff lines. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's... it's I know why everybody worries about it. I worry about it when I started doing it, but it, it's, you don't worry about it. It's, it's not a problem. Yeah. But where you get waterlogged, you get grass, and where the grass is the worst is where you wheels are. What was the biggest challenge to adopting chaff lining? Oh, you do use chaff lines, don't you? You put yeah. them in between the wheel tracks? That's right. Uh, getting the shoots right. So by that you mean they were too wide at the start? Or? No, just getting so they don't block up and so they catch everything. Gotcha. So that's yeah. more of a factor of um, the biomass that you're putting through the header than anything. Yeah, and, and the conditions. You know, we'll, we'll be harvesting in 95% RH and 10 degrees. Oh, right. You know, and the stuff's coming out the same as it goes in, but the seed's taken out of it. Yeah, so it's all pretty mushy. And, and it's sticky. It's sticky yeah. and it's coarse and it doesn't want to flow. Yeah, so, you know, I see the chaff sheets that people put on Twitter, you know, from the wheat belt, and they're about that wide, and they're not even very steep, and all this stuff just pours <laughs> out. Whereas I've got to have a big hole in mine, yeah. and I've got to have a good slope, I've got to have no hanging up points or anything. But, you know, we've got it working, but it takes a few goes to get it right. Probably the other thing is um, the chaff lines are a nuisance when I'm sowing my crop. I don't get good establishment where my chaff lines are because the chaff sort of spreads out a bit and that. Is there like any hairpinning going on with your disc machine? There is a bit, but even, even with times, but yeah, it's probably worse with the disc. Right. Yeah, just where that chaff's really thick. Gotcha, do you think that's more just a, sort of a composting mulch effect where the, the seed just can't get straight through to the bottom? Uh, no, it's just physical, you know, seed soil contact is a problem. Right. Because it, I mean, the chaff lines are pretty narrow, but over time, like when we're harvesting those nights, when it's just a heap of material coming out. Because in the heat of the day, you don't get much coming out. But in colder night, they're big, bulky rows. Oh, right. And um, and they can spread a fair bit, and then you sort of start to pick them. And the ones that I see through are starting to spread out because we're seed through them. Oh, yeah. And then after a few years, they're getting wider and wider, and they're interfering with more than just those rows either side of the chaff line. Right. So you get residue carrying over for a number of years. What's that? Oh, you, the chaff that sort of hangs around as residue. Yeah, well, you've always got about two years of chaff there. The three-year-old stuff's rotted, the two-year-old stuff's half rotted, and the one-year-old stuff's fresh. Yeah, right. So I, they never get much bigger than two years' worth. But yeah, if you like wheat on wheat, you know, you get a fair bit of chaff with wheat. Yep. And you have two of them on top of each other, particularly if they're on top of a big canola stubble, you know, big canola chaff row, right? they can start sort of spreading out a bit. Oh, yeah. Because I'll play around with seeding through them and, and not seeding through them. And not seeding through them, it keeps them tighter. Yeah, but seeding through them, you, you have less gaps in your crop. So, because sometimes the seed comes up where you seed through it, depending on how heavy the chaff line is. Oh, yeah. And I'd rather have the crop growing there than not. Yeah, I suppose it's extra competition, isn't it? It is, it's, that's right. Because it's throwing away another 30 centimetres of Exactly, that. yeah. So it's a hard one. That I, I still haven't quite worked out how to manage that. So that's probably one of the other big challenges of it. Yeah. Oh, and the third one is um, earwigs living under the chaff. Oh, right. Attacking my canola when it's coming up. Yeah, that's a bit of a problem. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that at some No. <laughs> that's from the field. <laughs> yeah, these are the things you discover when you sort of start doing something a bit different. So um, how do you manage the earwigs? 
Well, I'm not really at the moment. Uh, insecticide seed dressings like Cosmos seem to be the only way at the yeah. moment. Because you're not really a fan of um, insecticides, are you? I don't like using them if I don't have to. Yeah. But if I have to, I will. Yeah. I know some people in the northern ag region, they use um, lace wings. They can buy these predatory bugs and they can introduce them to control aphids. Is there a similar thing you've heard you of? You can introduce lace wings, can you? Yeah, you buy really? the eggs. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't know how expensive they are, but I think it's more of a novelty. But right. I think it does work because you sort of you get a head start on the population. Yeah. Well, Anton, I don't think used any insecticides post-emergent. Oh, actually, you might have done this year, just one. That's at three springs? Or yeah, at three springs. Yeah. Last year, where we used three insecticides post, all low rates of alpha, the exact areas that got that got smashed with aphids. And the areas that didn't get that didn't get smashed with aphids. And it just stacks up to me because every time you put alpha on, you're just taking out all your predators, you, mm. but you're not getting rid of all the aphids. Yeah, because they keep coming in. As they like, do, yeah. You know, hordes of um, zombies coming over the place. Yeah, it's like, you know, um, taking all your antibiotics and then, you know, getting some other infection because you've killed all your good bugs sort of thing, you know. Yeah. And I, I take the same approach here. I, I rarely use insecticides post-emergent here. Right. If I can help it. What prompted you to get involved in harvest weed seed management? Just another piece of the pie, really, for, yep. for just staying on top of weeds. Gotcha, so you sort of heard about it and realised that it was a way to sort of... Yeah. down. Um, Paddy Barber done it for a couple of years, yep. and Calder Grasser did it once, and I chatted with those guys. You know, a lot of people have done shaft carts and all that. I mean, people have been doing that. I'm surprised the RCSN wanted to increase the uptake here, because I thought the uptake down here was already pretty good. Yeah, well, I actually thought so as well. A lot of people have been using shaft carts and all that. I'd been doing windrow burning a lot. Well, not a lot. One year in five in Bali, I'd windrow burn. Right. Cut it short with a swather to catch it all, and then windrow burn it. Right. But it's just a bugger doing all that burning. I don't like burning the trash and I don't like the job in March, April. So I was, I was sort of looking for another option to avoid having to do that. Just talking to guys who were doing the chaff line, Paddy and Colin, I thought, well, they seem to be having a pretty good experience with it, so I thought we'd give it a go. So you, that's basically why you chose the chaff decks over the um, other options. You already tried windrow burning and didn't like the idea of a, of a um, chaff cart, so you just went for the sort of simple... That's right, yeah. I mean, the option. chaff carts are expensive. Yep. And you've still got to burn those heaps. Yep. So that doesn't fix that problem. Sooner or later you get escapes. You know, the fires get away. Oh, yep. You've got to deal with that as well. Yep. And you're still removing your chaff. Mm. Which is a loss of nutrients from the system. It is. So that's no different to chaff lining. And I just didn't want to have something else on the machine that was going to slow me down at harvest. Because as you can see, getting that crop off efficiently here is really challenging already. Yeah, absolutely. I, I hadn't realised how... Um... Yeah. Crazy it was. It is, it's crazy. So adding another complexity to that's just not something I want to do. All right. So the chaff shoots, they're just a plastic shoot, you stick it on and you just drive like you always do. And yeah, quick and easy. You no, don't worry no about it. Is. Yeah, no, it is. Have you had any ongoing hassles with the um, chaff shoot? They're basically trouble free, but you have to learn to reverse up when you stop. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can't stop, because if you do, you'll take off with a block chaff shoot and you'll fill your header up with a hay bale. Gotcha. So yeah. you've done it a couple of times, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, everybody does it a few <laughs> times. And then, they, you know, after getting all those prickles up your arms, pulling it all out, you learn not to do it. Yeah, so that's the only thing. As long as you've got your right technique, they're no problem at all. Have you had to modify... Oh, so you obviously made the chaff shoot yourself. Mm. Yeah, it's um, sort of McFell's way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Did you have to modify it after that, like once you got the um, yeah, angles I've, worked out? And the... I've made probably... I've probably got two or three old ones that I don't use anymore that gotcha. you know I've improved. Yes, I took a few shots to get it right. Was that um, a lot of sort of R and D, or was it sort of just trial and error? Stick it on, see if it works. If it doesn't, trim yeah. it a bit. Because <laughs> I just use plastic. Oh, okay. Which is good because I can work it in the shed with a hot air gun, and it's light, easy to handle. So I just buy sheets of plastic. It's two or three hundred dollars for a sheet of plastic, and you make one up and you stick it on. If it doesn't work, you just get your Stanley knife out and just trim it. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's pretty easy, and you can just drill it with a battery drill and you know whatever you need to do. Yes, yeah, so it's really 
really malleable. It is, work. yeah. Really, you can bend it and stuff if you have to. So I've done that and then sort of, you know, just end up with bits and pieces all over the place. So then once you know what it should be like, then chuck that one and make, make yeah. the proper one. What about changing the header? No, I, I, I don't change anything. I, I leave the spinners on. I just drop them to the down position and then I just sit there straight up on top. So I can be spinning stuff out again in about 10 minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah. So would you ever do that? I'm thinking of doing it at Fisheries Road this year. Oh. It's all waterlogged canola. It's all been desiccated. And it's going back to canola next year and the earwigs could be a problem for me. Oh, right. So I'm thinking of not chaff lining down there because there's, there's nothing to collect anyway. It's all clean. So, yeah, I'm thinking of chaff line, not chaff lining there just so that we don't have problems with earwigs next year. This would be my fifth harvest, I think, chaff lining. Oh, and then before that you were doing windrow burning for donkey Just occasionally, years. yeah. Oh, but, okay. I mean, this year I'm going to windrow burn probably a third of the operation. Did you do escapees? Oh, we just got we got grass blowouts this year because it's been so wet. Right. And a lot of the grass is still green. Oh, okay. and, and when it's green, I don't think it goes out to chaff shoot. I have had issues when, when we've had green grass in the crop. You can see after you've harvested, like when, the next year, where the grass comes up is where the straw landed. Yeah, so it's not going out with the, the chaff, it's going out with the straw. Gotcha. And if so, it's a bit green, it's not spreading as well either. No. So I think you capture it efficiently when it's all hot. You know, if you've got weather like today, wheat belt weather, I don't think you'd have to worry. If your grass is dead yeah. and the weather's warm, I'm sure you'd get really efficient collection in your chaff. Yeah. But down here, when it could be 10 degrees and 95 RH when you're trying to harvest. Yeah. And it's green. Yeah, it's just... It's just going out with the straw. Yeah, you got So, it. unfortunately, yeah, I just made the call this year. We're just going to burn a shitload of straw and just get rid of that grass. Because we've, we've been clean for probably 13, 14 years now, doing what we're doing. And this year's a blowout. Yeah. And I just don't want to have the next five years trying to mop that up again. Yeah, gotcha. Where there's, there's been blowouts, is, are they the worst in the chaff lines or...? No, no, they're not. No, so it's, just, it's obviously like the um, ryegrass has been sort of there dormant for a number of years. Yeah, I think it's that. Uh, yeah, and also, you know, when you get a blowout, like we've got a blowout this year, but you haven't got like a thousand ryegrass to the square metre. You've got two ryegrass to the square metre with a thousand stems on them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 50 or 60. Yeah. Seeds per stem, yeah. Yeah, you know, you'd be amazed. You know, they're like completely tillered. Oh. And it looks like a sea of ryegrass and you count the plants, there's not that many. Yeah, right. That's just because the, the crop wasn't competitive because it waterlogged. Gotcha. So that grass has just gone gangbusters. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's not like we've got big numbers. It's just um, really strong, healthy individuals. Exactly, and they're yeah, producing right. an awful, awful lot of seed. Yeah, gotcha. So, so yeah, the blowouts aren't in the chaff. Even then, like I can take you to where we've got blowouts, yep. and they're not in the chaff lines. The chaff lines are still clean. Yeah, gotcha. So there's two possibilities there. One is the chaff lines aren't actually collecting the grass. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I don't think that is the case because yeah. you do see some chaff lines that are grassy in the really yeah. bad areas. And you'd be able to see the seed in the chaff as well when you go and sift through it, wouldn't you? Yeah, you can, and it's definitely there. That's true. Yeah. It is there. Yeah. So it's not that the grass isn't going into the chaff line. I think the mulching effect is probably the main thing. So, yeah, so it's either the, the chaff lines aren't working, which I think they are, or else it's old seed from before I was chaff lining, yeah. or a seed that's gone out with the straw. Yeah. Which is quite, quite possible. Yeah. That's another reason I didn't go to chaff carts or you know even seed destructors and that. That really appealed that much to me because yep. I know I'm only going to get a portion of the seed anyway. Yeah. Even if I do everything right with collecting the chaff, you know, cutting short and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. A lot of the time, the stuff's already on the ground before the header even goes in the paddock. Yes, gotcha. So there's no point, you know, busted mass trying to get it all when. Yeah, when you're going to lose a certain percentage anyway. Exactly, like probably half of it or something, you know. Yeah, and so you can do the same with the three hundred dollar fix as you can with that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, HSD. Yeah, and it, and it's not not nearly as traumatic. Elliot Marshman chats to Nick about his experience with using a chaff deck. Basically, how it eventuated was, well, I got into another header. It wasn't a new header; it was two years old, which was a significant upgrade for me. Right. And decided 
I wanted to go down the chaff deck route and there's a local guy in town that was, is making them. Is that James Buttle? Yes. And anyway, I just said to Rattle and Slater that I want to put chaff decks on it and they said, yep, no worries, we'll get James Buttle to, to do it and he did it. So it oh, was cool. as simple as that. It was, um, I think from memory, it was about a $20,000 exercise. Yeah, and when the header got delivered, they were on it and yeah, been working, working ever since. So. Awesome. Yeah. So there was really no dramas at all with them setting it up? Cause no. Because it in the shop? Yeah, that's it. It was just, yep, done out of my control. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it simpler then. Yeah. So there hasn't really been anything, any challenges in that respect. So why did you decide to go down that, um, that path of getting a chaff deck? Well... Was it just sort of in vogue and you saw everyone else doing it and thought it was the way to go? Yeah, like, I knew I had to do something for weed seed harvest weed seed management yeah i had done some windrow like windrowing out the back of the header and then yep. burning that for one season and i i didn't like it yeah the burning side of it kind of yeah just went on and on and yeah got rain on it and it was just a headache and yeah gotcha so that turned me off that and yeah really like the idea of the chaff decks just purely because once it's done it's done that's all you, you don't have to come back and do anything to it there's no burning it may not be the the best, like probably chaff carts might be better because you're actually, you know, destroying all the seeds by burning them, but yeah. at least you're doing something. Yeah. It's got to be better than doing nothing, and yeah, it seemed easy, and that's why I went down that path, basically. So. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So you said you had to get on top of the, like, had to do use some, like, harvest weed seed control. Was that because the weeds are getting out of control, or just because you've seen the, what can happen if you leave it too Yeah, long? like, a bit of both, I suppose. Like, the scadden block um, has definitely got a bit of a problem. Yeah. There's resistance getting in there. Yeah, it's just well kind of documented, I suppose, or pushed that that's what you should do, because yeah. the integrated weed management just attacking it from every angle yeah, something exactly. that's not chemical as well Try to, trying to get on top of problem paddocks as well as just the whole program just keeping it in check and, clean. Um, so what sort of resistance are you seeing glyphosate creeping in yeah it's um, fairly concerning isn't it you want to get on top of that yeah yeah definitely yeah so you went for this option over the chaff shoots yeah why was that you want to control traffic uh, I am to a certain degree like I'm trying to pursue that path of being controlled traffic but yeah, yeah my cedar's still out of whack I've got a 70 foot cedar oh, right. 21 metres which I'm planning to upgrade eventually to a, a 24 metres cedar which right. would fit but yeah I haven't quite done it yet and that's the only thing that's out of whack yeah everything else is on 12 metres and 36 um, metre sprayer and sort of three quarters of the way there I suppose but yeah gotcha so yeah. ideally the um the email shaft deck will tie in nicely with the control traffic and having yeah yeah all the same um same tram lines for that yeah that's right so, yeah, gotcha. and so you obviously chose that for that reason and you didn't go for a chaff cart because you didn't like the idea of burning or yeah basically yeah yeah same goes for windrows because you've already tried that yeah um, I suppose for the HSD didn't like the idea of turning something around I don't think it was released commercially oh okay oh you've had the chaff decks on for a while uh, this is my third season with them now. As far as I know, the seed destructor things really only come commercially online, well, pretty much this year, I, I thought. I, you might probably oh. know better than me, but... Yeah, I think um, the integrated one's been released this year. Okay. I think it was just 10 prototypes that went around the state. Yep. And the turbine ones were around, I think, 
two years ago. Yeah, okay. But they weren't very popular at all for various Yeah, reasons. I mean, I think that's the ultimate, um, yep. the, the integrated ones. But yeah, it's just like give it a bit of time and well, they've literally, yeah, I only just got them into headers now and I've always thought in the future if, when I start upgrading headers and stuff, I'll really look look at doing that. That's the yeah ultimate way, I reckon. Yeah, cool. Um, for now, I'm just letting it sort of evolve a bit and um, yeah, thinking right. that's where I'll eventually go. So, Have you had any ongoing hassles with the chaff decks? No, not really. To be honest, they've been very trouble free. I think last year we had a little bit of problems. But what happened, the chopper blades wore and that was vibrating excessively, which kind of created vibration on the chaff decks as well, which caused oh, a little bit of cracking or there was something not quite right, which we, once we fixed the chopper up, yeah, we just welded up whatever had broken on the on the chaff deck and it was right again. But that wasn't really the chaff deck's fault. It was yeah. because the, the chopper blades were worn. And so no, other than that, it's they've been, I haven't had any drums at all, so. Yeah, right, so a pretty good product all in all from Yeah, I think so. Like, definitely got no complaints about it. There's different designs getting around now. I've only just heard this, I haven't seen it or anything, just different method of the way it kind of comes out the back and onto the decks. But anyway, I think the email ones are working and yeah, I've got no complaints. I mean, if I saw this other setup, I might think, oh, well, that does look better, <laughs> but yeah, at the moment it's doing the job, so. Yeah, also all in all, it's, yeah. So obviously because it got done at the dealer, there's been no mods to the header. Uh, they do have to modify the header to put them on. I think they've got to move the position of the straw spreaders a bit. Oh, okay. Maybe. And obviously, like, you know, you've got to get these things on there, so, well, you can't really call that a modification, but you have got the, the whole setup bolted on, so... Yeah. But I'm pretty sure I remember them saying that they had to kind of move something that was part of the original header yep. to, to fit these things up, but I'm not 100% sure kind of what it is, but oh, um, yeah. I think it's the position of the straw spreaders just to kind of squeeze yeah. them in there. But, yeah. yeah, gotcha. <coughs> no yeah. worries. And you haven't had to, had to change the de um, chaff deck at all? That's been no, since the that's deal. just been set up and stayed as is. <coughs> awesome. Do you reckon you've seen a decrease in weight numbers? I reckon I might have a, a little bit. Yeah, in some areas that I knew were heavily infested, I, I think they they are decreasing. Pretty hard to gauge it properly though, without yeah doing proper counts and all yeah. that. I know I've definitely seen a concentration of weeds in in the wheel lines, like where oh, yeah. it's putting the the chaff in the weed seeds. So yeah. that to me proves it's working, as in it's stopping it getting spread out across the whole whole width. So yeah, all in all, I'm confident it's doing what it should and helping the, the weed numbers as a whole, really. So. Well, from that package, it sounds like those farmers in that Esperance region, they're pretty onto it. They're pretty keen on adopting technology which helps manage weeds and they're interested in innovating. They are, yeah. As I said earlier, they're, they're real innovators. But the, the good thing is they got into this. Some of them have been doing the chaff tram lining uh, for about 10 years now and they're sticking with it and they're pretty positive about sticking with it into the future so they do acknowledge that there are some downsides that the weeds are still in the paddock and so on but the fact that they've done it that long and they're sticking with it I think it's pretty good evidence that they're on a bit of a winner. Definitely it's really good to hear. Well 
change of pace, we're going to check in with our northern region agronomist and extension officer, Paul McIntosh. Now, he has been really busy chatting with agros and farmers in the region and this week he's actually going to be focusing on grain sorghum and post-emergent and pre-emergent herbicides. It wasn't long ago you were actually driving around with Paul. Let's reflect on your time with Paul there. Yeah, well, obviously that northern region's really different to where I've had experience in the southern farming system. So Paul's a guy who's been an agronomist up there forever and knows everybody related to half of them and knows all the agronomists. <laughs> and so he showed me around and uh, really showed me the farming system. And it is obviously very different to the south. So it was really great to tap into his experience. All right, well, let's take a listen to what his advice is on grain sorghum for this time of year. How are you, Paul? Very well, thanks, Jessica. And things are good if we had some more rain over here in the east. Yes, so how are things going over in your region at the moment? Jess, we've had a pretty interesting winter in the southern part of the north northern uh, region. It's been extremely wet in our winter crop. This has not, not made it easy for our pulse growers and that really suffered badly with some of the losses down there. However, on the good side of the thing, it certainly loaded up our soils with subsoil moisture and that's right through the whole area from central New South Wales, northern New South Wales, southern Queensland, central Queensland. We farm on moisture in the ground up here. We live to build up the moisture profile in our soils. So the last winter has certainly done that in many locations in Queensland, New South Wales. Yeah, right. And at the moment, people, well, back in October they started planting, but October through to January people are planting grain sorghum at the moment. What are some of the things to consider around this time for growers? Yeah, the truth be known, just some of the people in central Queensland where the soil temperatures get a bit above 15 degrees earlier, they probably planted in September for some of our grain soils. Yeah, right. But they're waiting for rain, basically. They're basically waiting for rain. Everywhere through the whole region is waiting for rain. And, of course, it's a double-edged sword, Jess. It's, you know, you try to harvest your chickpeas and your wheat and your barley and your favourite beans and you really want some rain on your summer crop. It's, it's, you know, two to six inches, eight inches out of the ground and desperately looking for a drink of water. What are some of the things people should be considering when they do get to that planting stage? Well, the biggest thing we have to consider is soil temperatures. They're the biggest thing. And weed control, of course. You know, we need to start off with a clean paddock. All of our grain sorghums are hybrid seeds, so that's that's a good start. So it comes from the the, uh, the big companies whose hybridisation scheme has been in like for 40 years. So that's a good start. So we've got hybrid seed. They've got relatively clean, good clean seed. We need to have clean paddocks when we start for weeds. And, of course, we need that all-important soil temperatures, which at this stage of the game is not a real major issue as far as having low soil temperatures to plant our grain sorghum in. And what about the row spacing and things like that? What should people be striving for in that regard? Oh, yes, that's a long subject. Look, we've been on metre rows for so long because of plant machinery and, uh, and just the ability to be able to crop that way a lot better. So I, I suspect people will look at row spacings in the future, when we see what the effect with wheat and barley and uh, other crops are doing, they're getting a lot more better wheat control, of course. However, we need to go up a trend down between our rows. There's still people who inter-row cultivate, or the old term's called scuffle. There's still people who need to put an excess of a bit of extra nitrogen on, and that needs a bit of room to move up and put nitrogen on in between the rows. So there's a lot to be done in a one-metre row, which is what we conventionally on have been for quite some time. However... As other forces come to bear, like herbicide resistance, there will be issues where people will consider going back to narrow rows 
to get a bit better weed control just by sheer competition. Yeah, right. And what about herbicides? What should people be considering using their herbicides uh, this season? The herbicide war continues on weeds in our summer crops over here, Jess, particularly grain sorghum. We're lucky we still have atrazine and we have a thing called metolachlor. And uh, atrazine is directed at broadleaf uh, residual weed control. And it's also, it's also the um, metolachlor is, re- is directed at uh, grass weed control as a residual basis. So we have those two in our armory and they can go on at planting time, which is really good for our grain sorghum. And of course then if uh, people want to look at other options, we can even spray over the top of our grain sorghum with a suite of herbicides, which includes atrazine again. So we can make a mixture of atrazine plus our group I uh, phenoxy herbicides like fluoroxifer, like picloram, like 2,4-D, like dicamba, like bromoxanol. Not all of those ones would get first place as an option, but certainly they're an option to be used in a post-emergent sense on our broadleaf weeds in our grain sorghum crops in the eastern part of the country. And what are some of the other things people need to be considering going through this planting stage and spraying? Are there any other important tips you can give agronomists and growers in that regard? Insects are always a concern, Jess, and we've got one over here called white curl grub is its official name, but we call it scarab. And it looks a big white grub and it can really make a mess of your uh, planting population uh, that you've got in your paddock. And while we're struggling to control that one, apart from good mechanical workings, it is, a, it is a major problem and a major issue. And you need to be aware that when you're trying to get low populations of plants, as with our grain sorghum, like somewhere between four and seven plants per square metre, it doesn't take too many of these grubs, low ground insects, to create havoc. And the same with wireworms and earwigs. They can all create a fair bit of havoc on these low populations. So being aware of what's in your paddock underneath your soil is a good start. Weed, uh, weed populations and weed identification is a good thing too. So those little tiny weeds that are coming up, you should know what they are so you can make some executive decisions and plan, plan your weed control in the next month or two. And of course the last issue is if you decide to go over the top, if you decide to do broadleaf weed control as a post-emergent uh, sense, you really need to consider your crop safety. These, uh, these grain sorghums, they, uh, they like to be sprayed at the right time. We're using a group I phenoxy hormone. These hormones go to cell division points on plants, so they go to, to growing points. So you need to make sure that your plant's old enough to be able to handle these group I uh, phenoxy pro- products like 2,4-D, like fluoroxaper, like picloran, like triclopur. But you also need to get them on early enough so that you don't interfere with the reproduction stage of the sorghum crop. So it's a really juggling act when you apply these things. But for starters, you don't want to apply too early because you interfere with root development, particularly secondary root development. For the second part of the angle, you don't want to apply too late. So somewhere between the four-leaf and the eight-leaf stage of a grain sorghum plant is the best time to put a post-emergent on. Now, Jess, I can assure you that when you look at a grain sorghum paddock, none of those plants will all be at one stage. They'll all be up and down. So you'll have some at eight, some at six, some at four, and a few at two, and you've got to make a best decision in the middle of the whole whole uh, population of sorghum plants if you're looking at when is the best time for me to spray my sorghum crop in my paddock with the stage of growth. That. And that, that takes a bit of knowledge and a bit of know-how, and you don't just uh, do it by numbers. You do it by looking in the paddock and making sure you've got your weed numbers right You've got your identification right and you've got your stage of your grain sorghum crop completely right as much as you can for these uh, phenoxy hormones. Very good advice, Paul. And are there any other issues which 
we can touch on quickly that are important at this stage? Herbicide resistance is still a very major talking point around all the areas, Jess, and we need to make sure that we can, can do as best we can. We've got these weeds like turnip and milk thistle and mustards coming in on the fringe of our summer growing crops. So while they've traditionally been winter crop weeds, they are now getting into our summer crop weeds. So the weed control we choose in our summer crop needs to consider out-of-season weeds, as well as the potential of herbicide resistance, which is an ever-increasing risk over here in the east. All right. Well, thank you so much for giving us an update, Paul. No worries, Jess. Well, that was good to hear from Paul and really sage advice for those people in growing in the northern region. Good to keep on top of things, especially using those herbicides correctly. Yeah, well, sorghum is this crop where it's not a lot of competition with wide rows and the weeds that survive in there can set a lot of seeds. So I think it is a part of the cropping system that's going to need a bit of attention in the coming years. Yes, and we'll be getting many more updates from Paul in the new year on lots of different parts of the northern region system as well as checking in with our other regions too. We're going to make sure we keep everyone abreast of the important weed-related knowledge in those areas. Yeah, there's plenty of it. (laughs) And this is our last podcast of the year. It's been really good also having you in the office for the last one. Usually Pete and I are chatting over the computer, which is a little bit awkward because we can't actually see each other, and it's nice to have you in the office. Oh, the last face one. to face is much face better. Face. Just, yeah. Yes. So if we sound a little bit more clear, it's because we've got the benefit of using a proper recorder. So that's nice. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> We'd like to wish everyone a really happy new year and a merry Christmas. It's days away, really. Oh no, it always creeps up on you, doesn't it? Have what about you, you Jess? You got plans? I am going to be going to Hong Kong for New Year's. Oh, really? Yes. And then mainland China, providing my visa gets approved. We'll see. It's been a last-minute decision. But for Christmas, nothing too big. How about you, Pete? Do you have a little stocking on your fireplace? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's going to be a stocking. (laughs) I've had my presents, to be honest. I've I've done pretty well recently, yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, but it's going to be quiet. We thought we were house-sitting in Margaret River, but unfortunately that has just fallen through. So we're staying home. But look, I live on the coast, and so... It's uh, just going to be nice, a staycation, as they call it. staycation, lovely. Yeah, and then, yeah, we'll catch up with the Rellos, of course, down in Perth. A couple of years ago, I actually, speaking of the coast, went to Scarborough Beach for the New Year's Eve part of my holidays, and we actually were swimming just as the sun was setting, and a pod of dolphins came and swam with us. Happy days. Happy days. So maybe Hong Kong will top that. We know. Uh, I don't know though. That was. It's going to be a different sort of, of the most magical holiday time. Swimming with dolphins. Yeah. I think. But, you know, sounds good though. Yeah. All right. Well, have a great Christmas, Pete. You too, Jess. And a and, good New Year. Yeah. And to everyone out there, have a have a good festive season. Have a safe one. And make sure you continue to follow us on Twitter. We'll be letting you know when our 2017 podcast will be coming out, but it'll be sometime in January, Feb. Yeah. All right. See you later, everyone. 